hear me. Скажи мне, американец, в чем сила? А вы что, собираетесь на ней жениться? Да. Ух, красота-то какая, лепота. Таможня дает добро. И вообще не называй меня, пожалуйста, Вероника. Кто я? Вот кто я? Отныне русские земля единый быть. Hi, my name's Ali, and this is the Rus Files Unite podcast, where we watch Russian films and films with a Russian connection. As regular listeners will know, I'm always joined by a guest, and this time I'm actually joined by two guests. So, hi Smith and hi Lily. Hello. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. There's We're two of us. Quite well. Excellent. We're actually doing like a three time zone special here today. So, uh <laughs> Get your three time zone special. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so Lily is joining me from from St. Petersburg. And Smith is joining me from... Brooklyn, New York. Awesome. And I am in Milton Keynes, which is a place in the UK. As you probably deduced from my accent, but just because that's your accent doesn't necessarily mean that's where you <laughs> are. I don't know why I... <laughs> or as... <laughs> Sorry, quality podcasting there. Uh, massive life insight. <laughs> You you don't have to stay in the place where your accent That's is from. Uh, right. So before I derail this process any further, could you folks tell us a little bit about yourselves? So, uh, Smith, do you mind going first? Sure. My name is Smith Freeman. In terms of relevancy to this podcast, I'm the co-host of She's in Russia along with Lily. Uh, and it's a podcast that kind of came out of our response to the American representation of Russia in mainstream media and wanting to just like give a more nuanced image of Russia. So we talk about a lot of different stuff, history, politics, current events, music, pretty much anything that's Russia related is potentially a topic. Um, and I live in Brooklyn. Awesome. Uh, and over to you, Lily, for you are the she of the title. It's true. I'm she. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Except when it's they, but we can get into that in a minute. <laughs> um, right. So, yeah, Smith, Smith, you've just introduced the podcast. Smith is the podcast, and I am the she, and I'm basically... <laughs> um, <laughs> Division of labor, planned economy. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think what is the best version of myself to present, but basically I live in St. Petersburg. Um, I've lived here for um, for a little over four years now. I just had my like four-year mark, and I am a former student of Russian literature, 
and a current co-host of She's in Russia. Awesome. So, yeah, how how did you, uh, Lily, decide that Russia was going to be a place that you wanted to go? Yes. How did I decide that it was... <laughs> well... People always ask me this, and I'm kind of like, oh, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah, people <laughs> do always ask me this too, and I'm really working on thinking of a better way to answer it that will be most entertaining. Um, and so far, it's it's been hard. But like the actual reason I came, so there's the there's the reason, the sort of technical reason is I came uh, as a student just to basically improve my Russian. I was studying Russian in college. And just to be able to be like, to give context to studying Russian literature with an actual experience of everyday life. And I was interested particularly in St. Petersburg because it's, it is a attractive city in a lot of ways. And then I, so I came to study and then I feel like the, the reason I've sort of gone back and, and tried to make a narrative about the reason why I ended up living here and ended up um mm. staying yeah because it's one thing saying how you ended up going but you you're still there after four years and that's more than just you know uh, well it was a fun way to pass you know 12 18 months whatever right yeah so i mean i did go i i did i've actually technically been here for more than four years because i did come back to the states and then mm. i like made the decision to move four years ago mainly with this feeling of like not having not having gotten enough of it basically I was just like I didn't want to have a temporary experience or, or an experience that was um necessarily temporary the way a study abroad program is where you you know yeah it's kind of very neatly bracketed of like right. I'm going for this time and I've reached the end of that time period so right and it's just go. like whatever like especially language wise I felt like I had really at the time I was like I could still barely speak Russian after the study abroad program. So I was like, well, that isn't, probably isn't satisfactory. <laughs> I want to get my yeah. money's worth. So, I mean, that was a big thing. And then I just really particularly loved St. Petersburg for a lot of reasons. It's kind of like, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I love about the city. But it's definitely, it's definitely like particular to this place you know I, I haven't had the desire mm, to live it's in it's not russia as a whole right right or like i mean i'm interested in seeing russia as a whole and visiting places but even sure. like moscow doesn't draw me in as a place to live so it's it's been as as a former muscovite i'm i'm deeply <laughs> offended but go on the yeah the <laughs> ongoing rivalry is, is still strong yeah yeah but i mean did you did you choose to go to moscow after being in St. Petersburg, or did you first go there and then, like... Um, no, I just went to Moscow because that's where the job was, and then I just kind of stuck there because that's where my friendships were, and then that's where my now wife lived. So, and, and she did a very similar thing to you. She studied Russian language and literature at uni, um, did a year abroad as part of her degree, and then went back i mean she graduated not that long after the uh the financial crisis so it's kind of like uh there are no jobs so hey i can teach i can teach english and improve my russian at the same time so totally. that was kind of how she ended up being back there uh, it was yeah i think that was the crisis was a big part oh, of that okay yeah 
But yeah, so um, so Smith, you've been to Russia a few times now, and at the time of recording, you've just got back. Yeah. How many times have you been there now? Just twice. Oh, okay. Yeah, I went the same time last year mm. and stayed for like, I guess, about two weeks. And gotcha. then this year for two weeks also and then we were traveling around in greece so like out of the country for about a month but okay. yeah just but just you twice count- now but i think that Sorry, i was gonna you could count four times because both times you came back for one day in <laughs> moscow <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's true i've been to moscow now for like a total of like maybe 40 hours and i've only seen outside of the train stations the only part of Moscow I've seen. Gotcha. Okay. So I was I was going to say like I was going to ask that classic uh, question in Russian, which is or translated back into English, which which is what were your impressions? But <laughs> probably not like that spectacular. Yeah. No, I really haven't. It's kind of unfortunate because both times I've been in Moscow, we've like gotten in kind of late, so it's been mm. dark, and then usually the next day I get on a plane, so I really don't have a good perception of moscow except for what lily has told me gotcha gotcha yeah i mean i don't have a ton to say about st petersburg i was there for maybe similarly like i think i went for about two or three days i think it was three days back in 2010 which is nearly a decade ago now that's that's gone scarily fast but it was mid it was not that long after you know really the peak of white nights it was early july and so it was i kind of experienced that magical mm-hmm. you know it, it's dark for like an hour but but yeah lily um i'm going to talk all about my experience in st petersburg and i was there once um what is it like cuz you say it's like a special place to to live but what what is it that you enjoy about it um yeah i mean like right now i'm i just got back also from a trip and i'm like having I mean, I'm feeling really good about the city just because it's, like, nice to be home, kind of, and I have, like, a, you know, Mm, it's nice to mm. not be traveling after a long period of traveling, but it's, like, also raining, and it's been gray all day, which is (laughs) a very normal state of weather. Yeah, so I've heard, yeah, like, the three, three days I was there were extremely bright sunshine, and I talked to my moscow friends when i got back and said oh the weather was so fantastic and they were like you got lucky yeah. it's normally never nice for three days oh in yeah a row. It's, it's we had kind of an unusually sunny summer this summer but that is it's true it's unusual mm. and so yeah i got back from being in like greece where it was mostly sunny and 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 i know it seems like banal to talk about the weather but it really is like important because i've just been like kind of drowsy for at least today I just like have been (laughs) listening to the rain outside and like trying not to fall asleep and it's just like (laughs) I don't know (laughs) I'm a little scared the weather is conspiring against my efforts to stay awake (laughs) yeah Yeah, I mean presumably that was a bit of an adjustment because I mean moving to Moscow for me as someone who grew up in a fairly northern country the the long and short days were a bit more extreme than they are here but it wasn't a big systemic thing for me whereas for my wife who's from Pennsylvania it was kind of like weird yeah. it was just like this is this is unusual I'm not I'm used to normal length days. or just like I think of the the weather in St. Petersburg or the seasons in St. Petersburg as something I'm still kind of acclimating to even though um it's not because of like cold or something because I am from New York and we have seasons and we have winter and 
it gets cold. Yeah. But it's really about the light and the like the sort of what I see as like a kind of manic cyclicality of the seasons where you get like this these huge swings of like really sort of euphoria in the spring when the white nights are happening and you're just like not <laughs> sleeping a lot and, and everything is like very active and people outside a lot to this kind of other swing of things that um, starts happening you know now and then like you get really deep mm. into the darkness in December where people are kind of more inside and like gathering inside and gathering in bars yeah. and um, there's also it's like it's always nighttime. yeah and it's also f- cool it's like a, it's I like it. I mean, I, I I enjoy it, and it's a different sort of, like, social interaction because you start having, like, even just the fact that bars are more crowded and popular in the winter, mm. for example. Um, yeah. You kind of switches everyone's mode of being because it's harder to be outside on the street. Because <laughs> it's horrible, yeah, and dark. Right, because it's, like, even if it's not cold, it's rainy or whatever, like, now. And it's not so much, like, oh, I hate the winter and I love the White Nights, but the White Nights is actually a really important part of my experience of Petersburg, I think, because I first came here, when I first, first came in 2012, when I was studying, um, it was in mid-June, so it was, like, the peak of the White Nights. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I have a very strong memory of that, and that being something that, like, sort of, I don't know, immediately gave me, in terms of, like, impressions, immediately gave me a very positive but very, like, surreal impression of the city because we tra- we got there, I was with a group of students, we got there in, like, the evening and, you know, we're, like, shipped to our little hotel and on the bus or whatever, and everyone's tired because we just traveled from New York, but, like, so this combination, this, like, weird mental state of a combination of, like, jet lag and also I hadn't traveled that far in my life before and then also the white nights just like I don't know somehow put me into this like really specific mental state and then we went out for the first time like out walking around around like 11 p.m and I really remember it was like it was like as though it was the middle of the day and all these people were walking around outside like eating ice cream and like there were like kids walking around and it was just like like little families I don't know on the embankment and I was like okay this is I mean this it was very surreal feeling and it was like my really actually first images of the city which was cool and I've kind of like that feeling has been something that I've that I enjoy having this like surreal quality of the city and it's Mm. something that I connect to not only the White Nights but in general like an experience of St. Petersburg where it, it could it could be the lighting sometimes or it could be how things are often like hidden and hard to find there's sort of a mysterious quality of the city that I like (laughs) like things it's hard to I don't know get places sometimes because they're like hidden in some back courtyard area or something but yeah yeah it does it does have I mean maybe this is unfair and part of it's just you know St. Petersburg is still novel to me because I only went there once it kind of has a more like it sounds like a ridiculous word but more of a magical quality to it and Moscow is is much more kind of like because I lived there kind of just down and dirty and grungy and you know very much a working city but like not a city that I can romanticize as easily but yeah as, as you were saying that's an awful lot of novelty like converging on your consciousness at once yeah and 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 it's fun to still be able to like 
get that feeling a little bit now when the city mm. is like so familiar to me because it's not that big a city so yeah. I really do have like um it's completely different now because I you know know where everything is I have sort of like a different <laughs> mental image and it also has to do with how people write about and like depict St. Petersburg because that mm. feeling that I'm trying to describe which may or may not sort of be familiar to people listening is something that is described in you know like Gogol's short stories about St. Petersburg or like Dostoevsky where it's captured there you know like the surrealness yeah like that comes up quite a lot in in crime and punishment which is years since I've read it but yeah a lot of it is like the kind of the frenzy of being in St. Petersburg over the summer when it's super hot and everyone's out of the city and you're just kind of wandering around and losing your mind yeah it's all yeah it's (laughs) yeah um but uh but Smith so yeah you've been to Russia a couple of times now um did coming back this time around having done your podcast for a year did that kind of change did that affect your experience at all do you think or yeah how how did the two times differ or were similar or yeah yeah um so we we had started the podcast the last time I was there the first time around but it was much younger at the time and just the quality of the trip was different because I was like I was working on a project so I was like working a lot and didn't really get the opportunity to see the city and the weather was different. This last time I was here, it was like real. It was like t-shirt weather. And so, Lily's working, so I would just like would get a lot of days to myself to just wander around the city. And that was, I don't know, really nice. I think that in terms of like um, how I relate to the city differently because of the podcast, I guess I just like I feel at this point pretty familiar with a lot of aspects of like Russian history and like hearing Lily tell stories. I mean, I've always heard Lily tell stories, but hearing her tell stories about the city a lot just gave me kind of a sense of familiarity that maybe I didn't have the first time I was there. And that was really nice to just feel like slightly more comfortable and like, you know, I don't speak Russian, but even still feeling like less like a tourist and just able to be casually in the city versus feeling like I stand out more I'm not sure um there's definitely like a few times where people spoke to me like in Russian asking me for like help or something like that Mm. and and even though I had to be like oh I don't understand what you're saying sorry like it's still like kind of nice to be mistaken yeah (laughs) I'm the last person you should ask (laughs) yeah really um so so yeah I don't know I think I think also in terms of the podcast, there's definitely a thing that I think both Lily and I have trained our brains to do, which is like kind of always on the hunt for things to talk about. Mm. And so kind of approaching the city in that, I don't want to say like productive way, but in a way where I'm like maybe more actively engaged with the small things that are going on around me in case I would like want to talk about them later. That's I think a kind of nice mindful way to be in a place. Oh yeah, definitely. And and I could definitely relate to the whole it's nice being in a place that is still new to you but not feeling like totally like you stick out like a sore thumb i recently visited riga which i'd never been to before but just the fact that it's former soviet union and obviously you know it's a different ethnic group majority but there are lots of russians there and the buildings are quite similar and some of the way things run are similar it felt like weirdly comfortingly 
familiar just because I had that contextual knowledge about a lot of things obviously not not wanting to say everything is the same but Mm. there was a lot of overlap so that was kind of nice totally yeah yeah I I really loved your your intro Smith as far as like the reason you're doing the podcast that's something I really appreciate because whilst I always feel like I have to be careful not to seem like because I'm saying you know, hey, Russia's Russia's cool. Like that, people will think that I'm a Putin apologist or <laughs> an apologist for the way things are done. But at the same time, it really frustrates me how simplistic the coverage is over over here. And I see a fair amount of U.S. media as well, and it seems very kind of like all Russians think this way and are, and are kind of bad and our enemies. So <laughs> you know, totally. Um, yeah, but I mean, there is a big political content to a lot of the episodes you do, but you also do like more broader episodes as as well. It's kind of almost like a Russian smorgasbord of interesting content. Um, do you have like personal favorite episodes that you've that you've done? I, I guess I'll ask this to Smith first. Um, yeah, we, we've at times indexed what our favorite episodes are um, f- for different reasons. But the ones that come to mind for me are I really like the soy episode because I think I think I mostly just like it because it's so nice to listen to Kino's music. Oh, so yeah. I really liked doing that one a lot. Um, I we the recent kind of recent ones we did in August about the whole telegram saga stuff we did a two-part one there where we like interviewed a bunch of different people we interviewed one of the lawyers at Agora which is like this human rights network of of lawyers who's representing telegram at the European Court of Human Rights we talked to him and we talked to some like IT experts and Lily talked to I, what's Mikhail's like title like the director of this internet digital freedom group yeah and we just really got like an intense and like complex understanding of the telegram case which like there has been coverage of the of the telegram case in western media for sure but nothing I mean as far as we can tell, nothing as comprehensive and nothing like in audio form. So that, that was really cool just to like, it took us a really long time and it was like a lot of effort and to have learned, to have, just feel like I have a really intense understanding of this like one specific case uh, was very satisfying. So, so yeah, I would say like those two. And then there have been just interviews we've done that I've really enjoyed doing and and actually, I feel like the uh, we did an episode recently with Lily's friend Nastia, where I think that was actually the one where we talked about how the differences in British and American English. Oh yes, yeah. I was just I think I was just listening to that yesterday or the day before. I was kind of catching up on a few episodes I hadn't heard. I feel really embarrassed now that that the Telegram two is is a couple that I haven't actually uh, listened to yet. But the the soy one is. Yeah, I can definitely see why that's a, that's a favorite, and I I really owe you both, uh, you know, a, a lot of thanks because I was kind of aware of Kino being like kind of a big deal from my time in Moscow, but I don't think I'd ever consciously like gone out of my way to listen to them. I'd probably heard them mm. in the background and stuff, and yeah. it was really like musically right up my street, and I have been listening to them 
kind of in heavy rotation now you know for the last oh, day right. yeah so that's really nice. yeah we we actually this is like kind of a downer on this topic but we <laughs> ended up going to his grave while i was in st petersburg um because he's buried in st petersburg in this uh, big cemetery and and we went there and like I don't know. It was just a weird scene. Like we approached and at first we were going to like video it. And then we just like kind of realized it wasn't the place to video. And <laughs> No, no, that sounded, yeah, like you say, really weird. Yeah. Place. And I don't know. I mean, maybe it's, it's that way. Yeah, it is sad. It is that way all the time where there's just like, I mean, there's people there. It seems like they're there a lot who obviously like really cared about him and Kino and had like some sort of like obsession with him in the way that like certain rock stars have you know obsessive fans yeah um, but it, but it is just like a reminder that even you know however many years after his death you know like 20 something years after his death he still holds this like really intense magnetism for people yeah i mean i've never been over to seattle but the the closest thing i can kind of imagine for people from the west is kurt cobain really but mm-hmm. i mean obviously rather different circumstances around soy's premature death but yeah i i feel like that's the most obvious analog in terms of like what a big deal he was at the time Mm. yeah i didn't think of that comparison that's a good comparison yeah we were comparing him to um john lennon but kurt cobain is a better example Hmm. because of the underground also thing yeah that aspect yeah whereas obviously yeah the beatles were mainstream you know <laughs> yeah which means they suck right basically no. <laughs> who even likes them <laughs> uh. well I, I i like them but you know not the popular songs no <laughs> I, I love that I'm yeah 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 yes important not to go on the record as going oh yeah beatles overrated i love all the songs <laughs> including the popular ones <laughs> it's true uh. but yeah so you should definitely definitely check out that that episode, uh, listeners, and and Kino as well. If you're at all into, like, I know how would you even define that sound? Um, Soviet underground rock. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's like it's like it's. I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a band that there's a comparison to. Yeah, it's rock music, but like lo-fi uh, yeah lo fi rock but like not but like more it's more like upbeat you know yeah. it's not it's not low i feel like oftentimes like lo-fi music is associated with like maybe more like punky stuff or mm. stuff that's more emotionally downtrodden but yeah kino does not have that sound but there's like 80s elements like i can just hear mm. some drumming well, yeah. in my head and there's, i know you don't agree with me on this one but there is that first album of theirs where there's like a lot of hawaii oh, under okay. oh yeah okay i did not agree with you i just was like hawaii i just i don't know if that was what i would it's, have said it's straight up luau music but really. okay but i would have said i don't know something else but i'm just thinking of like like even the song that opens the episode which i'm blanking out right now do you remember what smith um Dan is it. that Dan it that Grupa Krovi? Is it that one? What? I can't remember. Oh maybe it is. Grupa Krovi. Grupa Krovi. Yeah. That that song, like that opening is like very in my limited music knowledge mind is like eighties <laughs> sounding. 
Like, yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I, I think that's that's definitely that's definitely fair. So it's not just like I don't know. Like I was trying to make rock like slightly more specific. That's what I said. 80s. <laughs> when you say when you say 80s rock, someone's going to imagine like ACDC and kind of like right. screaming and you know like devil horns. And it's not. not it's that. more like art rock. I mean, some of their stuff sounds a bit like Interpol, who obviously a much more recent band. Mm. I mean, still technically going, but. Yeah, uh, it's Spakoinaya Notch. I'm just kind of like, if Interpol haven't heard this song, then it's just kind of like their sound just really sounds very similar to this. <laughs> but yeah, um, but but yeah. Anyway, we'll, I'm sure we'll get back onto the music thing because some of the music stuff in the in the film we're going to watch is I thought it was pretty interesting. So yeah, we should probably introduce the film that we're that we're going to watch today um so the film we're going to watch today is brilliantavaya ruka the diamond arm which is from 1969 the year it was released it's directed by leonid gaidai um and smith that was that was your pick so what inspired you to choose this one well it wasn't actually my pick i i asked lily you were the conduit yeah, she was the conduit for my pick. Yeah, I was the conduit. I'm often the conduit for Lily's things. But, um, <laughs> well, it wasn't your pick either, Lily. Let's give credit to the person. <laughs> well, it was my pick from a limited selection I was given. So, oh. yeah, basically, basically, I was like, Lily, what should we watch? And then she's like, let me ask my friend Polia. And then Polia gave her a list and then Lily cho- chose the diamond arm. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. Did I give you a list, Smith? Or was I just no. like, oh, just, you know, any Russian film you want to watch? Yeah, I think that you were, yeah, you were just like, is there something that you guys, maybe like something you guys have been wanting to watch? Or Yeah, it was open-ended. Yeah, but it was it was a decision of the collective leadership. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like I I have been meaning to uh watch more Soviet film and this this movie is from a list that yeah, my friend gave me that like her version of a short, you know, course in Russian film. She studied film partly and um this one was like this is like such a cult classic that it's one of the ones that yeah. you sort of like have to watch and I was like, okay, well I haven't seen this, so we should we should watch it. And so that was the cool. thinking. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for for this podcast, I've covered a couple of Leonid Gaidai films. One episode's already out. It's the uh, uh, Ivan Vasilievich Changes Profession one. And we've also got Kidnapping Caucasian Style is how it tends to get translated. So a couple of Shurik films. Have either of you two seen seen the Shurik films or any other Leonid Gaidai? Yes. I okay. wait. I like didn't put two and two together that that's the same person, the same director. The like films with the, wait, is it called? Sh- yeah, Shurik. He's the well. He's blonde in the first one. He's like, I guess. What's the name of like? What, is it the like? E the the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Operatia U oh, is the first one, yes. and then. Then Kafkaska Plyanitsa, which is kidnapping Caucasian style, and then Ivan Vasilievich changes profession. They're like a. I mean, I don't think they were designed that there was always going to be a trilogy, but there were three films with this one guy. Um, Word, yeah, I definitely yes. Okay, sorry, I didn't realize that that was the same director, and I love well at least Aparatsa I I watched, and the I think the 
kidnapping one I've seen at least parts of, but um, Smith, you haven't seen any of those, have you? No. I'll have to show you the, the first one. It's like a, isn't it sort of like a series of mini yeah, films? it's quite episodic. Yeah. yeah, I've only seen a bit of it because my Russian teacher made me watch it during class and then she got me to describe what happened as kind of like a language practice exercise. So I haven't seen all of that one, but I've seen all of the all of the other two. Um, yeah, so Smith, have you seen many Russian films at all or? Mm, I haven't really. I feel like I've seen maybe around 10. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that's like a a base. That's not like this is the the second one you've ever seen. So right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, once we've once we've watched watched it, we'll have to talk about like was it a surprise compared to the other stuff you'd seen. All right. So that's the film kind of introduced. But what we do each time uh, for those of you who are who are new to the show, uh, we like to launch into the. the film discussion part of the episode by speaking a little bit of Russian, just the one word, which is payekhali. And in terms of what it just means in Russian, it just means off we go, but it's kind of like got a bit more cultural significance than just being like off we go. And you two understand that probably better than most as you did a whole episode on on the space race. So yeah, why is Payekhali a thing? Okay, Payekhali is a thing because it is the word that the legendary Yuri Gagarin um, said when they were just about to take off in uh, 1961, I think. The, it, was, it was like during the takeoff of the Vostok, is what I read. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I believe that was the name of the of the rocket, which means east in in, in Russian, because they tend to name everything east if they have to name things. <laughs> right. Because we are not the West. <laughs> Stop trying to say that we're the, the same one. as you guys. <laughs> we must emphasize the our other West. The east. Um, yeah. I yeah. I I'm. It's nice that you bring that up because it's not something that I like think about it on a daily basis and people say payakhali all the time you know in, yeah. in everyday conversation and when they say that are they quoting again or is it or they're not really no i mean only in the sense of like it's i i mean if some if 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 you said to someone like oh my god that's what gagarin said they'd probably be like oh yeah but it's the, like, it's <laughs> he said it because it's such a commonplace thing to say and it, it means it literally means it's in the past tense. It's like a little bit confusing. So how would you explain it? It literally means like, we went. Yeah, it, it, but it kind of more means we're off. We're, we're off, yeah. Or, or kind of like, let's go, but we've already started going. It's kind of weird in that regard. Because as you say, with the past tense. And there's a, a version for when you're walking, which is pashli. Right, right. Wait, Lily, is, is that the sort of thing where, like, you were, t- you were talking like when, like, a mother is reprimanding her child and she, like, is instructing them to stop doing something, but she says it in the past tense, like, you have already mm. stopped doing the thing? Is that... Yeah, I, I, it actually probably is grammatically similar. I've never, like, really gotten into figuring out why the past tense is used in this case, because it's used almost as yeah. an imperative, which is the same as what, if in a commanding situation, it's like like let's go it would be more of an imperative and it 
yeah and I and it's one of those things that like you just learn when you're learning Russian and then it's never explained so it's something yeah. that I should look into just say this and you'll be fine just that's the what everyone does. and like I remember that very well like when I would leave the house when I was studying abroad that was like one of the things I knew how to say I mean I knew how to say a few things but I would be like like yeah it's like I've I went yeah. Like, yeah, I, I and people will like shoo people out of the door and be like, "Pushly, pushly, let's let's go, let's right, go." Right. I think the the phrase. Um, I didn't realize how symbolic the Gagarin's utterance of it is, but it makes sense, I guess, in in that context, definitely of like this really important event. But I also really like how it's like it's very Russian in 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 a sense in that it's. The fact that he said that is very Russian, I guess. And by that, I just mean that, like, the Russian language can be very compact sometimes. And that's, like, such mm-hmm. a compact thing to say. It's like one word. It's like, yeah, it's so laconic. He's, like, about to go into space. He's like, let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and I kind of like that it's... Because it's similarly famous to One Small Step for Man, but it's way less of a set piece. Because, like you know neil armstrong clearly that was something he was like i'm gonna set out onto the moon and that's kind of a big deal so (laughs) i'm gonna want it to be you know something rhetorically impressive whereas gagarin is kind of like we're off yay yeah i mean he doesn't say the yay bit but it's it's much more like yeah unfussy yeah. It's so that and you can't even use that like one small one small step for man. One, that's something, did <laughs> that he would... say he said one small step for man, one great leap or whatever for mankind. Well, that's the thing. It's a it, man. <laughs> it was supposed to be a man, and like uh, either the broadcast cut out or he just like messed up because he was oh, nervous. Because otherwise, thing. it's so. It's, <laughs> Yeah, because it's kind of a tautology. Yeah. Um, God damn it, yeah. I, that's true. And I never <laughs> thought about it. It is. Oh, oh God, he was probably like, oh, idiot. They couldn't have changed that in the transition. They could have just lied. He practices <laughs> the line like 700 times and he like, <laughs> fucks it up. No. From his studio where they recorded that because they did it really well. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to fake the whole moon landing over again because... Neil couldn't get his act together. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I like that. I think of it as being a big deal mainly because when I first studied Russian, like formally in classes, the textbook that we were given was called Payekhali, and I think it had like a spaceship on the front. So I was kind of like, "Why is it called that?" Oh right, right. That makes sense now. So yeah. So maybe I'm assigning a bigger significance to it than it really deserves and actually has in russian culture but hey it's working so it has a wikipedia page dedicated to it as that phrase oh no way and there's no english translation so it is important (laughs) for russia right someone should do that yeah yeah okay so yeah we should say the word so three two one payakali
we've just watched Brillante via Rukar, The Diamond Arm, directed by Leonid Gaidai from 1969. And before we talk about what we thought of the film, Smith and Lily, you're going to give us a, I guess, a tag team version of the setup to the plot. So spoiler alerts, if you don't want to know what happens, then you should probably watch the film. It's available on YouTube for free. So that's nice. But yeah, over to you, Smith and Lily. All right, okay. let, Lily, let me try. I'll, I'll try to just talk about the beginning part so that we don't spoil too much. But the premise is that there is a some sort of jewel smuggling situation, yeah. I guess. Is, are they supposed to be in Turkey in the beginning? Yes. Okay, yeah. from Turkey to Russia. And... The way that this smuggling is supposed to take place is that this man who's on like a little cruise tour gets off in, I guess, Istanbul and is supposed to break his arm and get then get a cast with the jewels wrapped up in the cast. But because everybody in this movie is a fool of some sort or the other, they end up taking the wrong man and wrapping his arm up with jewels while he's passed out. And so he comes to and he has this like bejeweled arm. You can't see it because the jewels are like wrapped up in the plaster of the arm cast. And he gets back on his little like touring ship with the guy who's supposed to have the jewels. And from there, basically, the entire movie is like the playing out of the jewel smugglers trying to get the jewels back and the guy who has the jewels trying to like thwart them along with the police. Lily, anything to add? He doesn't actually have to break his arm, but... No, yeah, no, his arm isn't actually broken, yeah. I think that's a lot of detail. I think that's good. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's that's a great setup, because I normally do a more thorough summary of the plot at this time, but I feel like a lot of the humour comes from the unexpected, so... Because, I, I mean, I'm going to just straight off say I really liked this, but how about you two? You know, did you enjoy it? Um, yes, I... I was waiting to see if Smith wanted to answer. Um, <laughs> I definitely did. I've now seen it like a couple of times in preparation. And it was fun to do that because the first time was like more about just like watching it in an entertaining way. Oh, wait, no, wait, we're supposed to only watch it once. Whatever. Okay. Um, <laughs> I ruined the premise. But matter. I <laughs> basically the, the time that I watched it... Um, more carefully it it was cool because like as on the one hand it's a very like slapstick movie as you said another one of his films um is and maybe that's like sort of his style but um on the other hand it has these like really artistic I don't know sort of like interesting details and attention to detail like flourishes yeah that is, that are fun to catch like if you notice them and like um you know follow the follow them along it's it's cool yeah which I how liked. about you smith the do did you enjoy it as well or more skeptical no i definitely enjoyed it i think that i'm not super drawn to like slapstick humor and so when i watch it i'm not it's not like i'm laughing out loud but i'm not bored either like i'm very interested in it and i think visually it's like a very non-boring mm. thing to look at. Um, also, like, side note that I think almost increased my enjoyment of watching it is when Lily and I, we watched part of it um, on the plane and there were Russians oh. sitting behind <laughs> us and 
they were like peering around our seats so they could watch it with us for like a large percentage of it. And they couldn't like we had headphones on, so they couldn't even hear it. But they just like were really enjoying the fact that we were watching it. Yeah. And the lady left of me was also I mean, we were on a plane to Moscow. So it was a lot of mostly Russians. And Mm. the woman next to me was also looking over at it. And people (laughs) like the people behind us, I heard them like sort of repeating the lines like they just know all the lines. So I mean, Oh, which yeah. is which is yeah. fun to sort of like interact. I I knew that would happen too when we were like we're about to watch it. I was like, people are gonna <laughs> are gonna like like that we're watching this. It's like such a thing, kind of. But yeah, yeah. I mean, did they know that you were a couple of foreigners watching the film, or were you just a couple of people watching the film? No, no. We I think they heard us probably speaking English, and we also had English subtitles, so it was. Oh, okay. So there was a, yeah, big giveaway. So it was kind of like an element of like, oh, cool. These non-Russian people are watching this Russian classic. Yeah. I mean, I hope that that's what they thought. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was a bit worried actually, like sometimes the films that I cover on here, I'm just like, I know the film's like status and how beloved it is. So I'm kind of worried that I'm not going to like it and that people are just going to be like, you know, because I do have some people in Russia who who listen and they'll just be like, huh, Philistine. Um, of course he wouldn't get it because he doesn't have a deep Russian soul. It's like, well, I just don't know the cultural as well as you guys. But, you know, that's a that's a topic for another day. But um, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so we all agree we we liked it, despite it being uh, more slapsticky, which is sometimes less people's cup of tea um what did you think of uh, of their characters well that was i mean this movie is pretty notable in that there's like at least at least the two main characters are really really famous soviet actors mm. um soviet yeah. russian i guess and and then actually really the whole ca- a lot of the cast is so it's just like this in that sense like it's like when you watch any movie with a really good cast it sort of like doesn't exactly matter like what exactly is going on because it's just a pleasure at least for me to watch the actors themselves all these really watchable people yeah and and i and i really i I didn't know that much about nakulin is that his name the yeah 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 i i knew i had seen him in other movies but i didn't realize like sort of his status as this like important person for soviet humor in general he's an actor he's like a famous clown he ran the circus at some point uh, in moscow oh no way i didn't know that yeah yeah he's big figure that in in the circus world and it's clowns are just really weird interesting characters and i think it's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's cool to see a clown acting um and then there's i mean he he's a very he's a very obviously talented (laughs) actor not just like you know yeah yeah, yeah, because you told me like at the beginning, like, oh, this guy's a famous clown. And I I didn't get like super clown vibes from him. You know, like if you hadn't said that, I don't think I would have been like, this guy seems like a clown. But he does have that kind of like hangdog kind of glum clown face. Yeah. Which is very it's funny. It's true, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was vaguely aware of the clown thing. But yeah, I don't think I would have guessed that if I didn't know it. Yeah, because he's not doing like, necessarily um he's not really playing that same role in in this movie at least but because and but a lot of it it, it's also because i think it's like his slapstickness 
is a little bit diluted or you're distracted by it by the slapstick qualities of all the other characters the main characters like Mironov yeah he's not the one guy doing pratfalls and everyone else is just you know going about their right. business wait I'm just what's his name Mironov or what's the name of the main character who's yeah Mironov um is the character who plays the main bad guy I guess yeah yeah main criminal and yeah and uh jewel stealer and his physical comedy or just his physicality is also really really present if not like more it's more sort of flamboyant Mm. than Nikulin's so you them together is like you know it's not like it sort of dilutes the the fact that Kulin is actually like a clown yeah a literal clown yeah no it's definitely true and even his like uh facial expressions and stuff aren't super over exaggerated which I I mean, I obviously appreciate. And yeah, I think you're right that... Uh, wait, what's his name? Mir- Mironov. Um, what's his name in the movie, though? Gesha. G- yeah. Gesha, yeah. His, he is definitely, like, the more physically... Yeah, fl- flamboyant's the right word. Like, he does this particular thing with his hair where he's, like, flipping it back with his head, like, very visibly. And, like, he's... there's. I feel like there's a lot of him, like... I don't know like moping him just like using his body in a very specific way or like uh when he's think when he has this like vision of the like angel boy i feel like he's like very uh dramatic yeah very dramatic he he, it's interesting that like his character kind of goes through a transformation in the movie that i just i don't know i didn't really like see maybe the first time around which is that he it's just like sort of his downfall, which is kind of a classic like bad guy thing, I guess. But but the fact that he is so exuberant, like bubbly in the beginning, like remember he mm-hmm. dances and he's singing and he's like his physicality is like is huge and really positive, but he's also really together, like his suit is nice and stuff. And then like... Yeah, suave is the word that I was thinking of. Yeah, suave. And he just, in the very first scene, he's like, he's got his Mm. shit together. Like, he accomplishes the first task, like, really smoothly. Um, I mean, what is, what is the first task? The thing with the, um, with the cane, remember? Like, it's like, it's like a mini scene so that you know what's going on. Yeah. And then he's just like, you know, he accomplishes it. He does his thing. And so we have some context. But then, like. And he's handsome. So you're like, oh, okay. And yeah, he's handsome and his hair's combed. And yeah. and you have this contrast between him and Nikulin's character who is kind of like immediately you see that he's kind of like a little bit of a dunce. Like he's a... He's, he's a bozo, sweet yeah. Sweet dunce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's, he's, he's not aggressive or like... Bozo's maybe not a good word because that sounds kind of like more like a knucklehead. But yeah, he's just like amiably dopey. Dopey, yeah. Yeah, yeah. like you kind of feel like because he's going on this like mini cruise by himself his wife and family aren't (laughs) coming along and he seems like someone who sounds awful but kind of needs his wife around to look after him because he's just hapless yeah yeah definitely hapless i mean he leaves his daughter on like a luggage cart (laughs) and then like that's how that's how we're introduced yeah (laughs) yeah it's true that's how we introduced him and then he's being interviewed but like he doesn't answer like the interviewer's like oh what do you do and then like the wife just answers all the questions for him what what is that though that he's on going on a little tour he, by himself 
as far as I understood, won something, right? Like, yeah, maybe uh, that's something I missed. I think he won like a little, like he gets to go, you know, I don't know. This, this seems like something that would happen more in the late or whatever we call it, starting from the thaw Soviet period, which is what this is very much like deep thaw period. Um, <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, <laughs> he gets some kind of he wins some kind of thing that lets him go i'm pretty sure he wins it because it's i don't think he's just decided to go maybe he's just yeah. decided to go because maybe he got like a little bonus or something but i feel like the yeah it's like a work like, related yeah. thing yeah yeah like a maybe he's just getting like a little vacation reward but i feel like it's like one of those things where you know it's this exciting thing but it's and it's unusual, obviously, we can get into that, how he's like, you know, he's going to the other place that's like the outside mm, yeah, and all this yeah. stuff. But at the same time, it's like not that great because like the, like when the interviewer is like, so you're all going? They're like, oh, no, just he's going. It's like they can't all go. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's like this tragedy great. to it, too. <laughs> Um, we're like, and he doesn't really want to go, and his wife is kind of like, "No, you should go. It'll be, it'll be good for you. You know, it'll, you should see the world." Because I get the impression he has to chip in like some of the cost as well, which like as a prize is pretty crappy. Because she says something about like, because he's like, "Oh, but we wanted to buy you that that fur coat," and she's kind of like, "Well, I can wait." Oh, you're right. You're right. Maybe it's so... not a maybe it's not a prize. Maybe it's just like a vacation, but he's paying for it. Yeah, because yeah. the the fur coat. You're right. Yeah, maybe it's and that's such a thing too. Something. Like that's mm. such a symbolic, I don't know, choice of object, you know, like the Yeah. The coveted fur coat. Yeah. Status. Um so yeah, I, I love the because it is quite slapsticky, which, you know, often is viewed as a simplistic form of humor. But they just do like like you were saying, the intros to the characters are so deft. Like they tell you lots of stuff that you need to know about this guy or, you know, the or like you said, uh, Mironov's character. Like, he's kind of a screw-up as far as the movie goes, but you have that intro scene to show that he's not normally like this as much as anything. It's the fact that when stuff goes to plan, he's really competent on it, but he's kind of playing catch-up the whole film. So that's kind of nice to see the, like, the context there. I, I thought that was really deft, clever filmmaking. Yeah, and you get the like you get a lot of information in the first scene. I just rewatched the first scene like right before also just because it's really like symbolically heavy. It's kind of mm. front loaded in a way because you have this mini version of the entire film and by that I just mean like the quick contraband interaction with the with the cane and you just see that happening smoothly and that's sort of like this is how it should go like a, a micro version and then you also have like the intro to the two characters as you said the two main characters and you sort of in that at least intro see them as very contrasting because it's like smooth shiny suit man and like sort of dilapidated dopey man <laughs> who's also Crumpled wearing a white suit, suit. Yeah. yeah he's like wearing a light suit and the other one's wearing a dark suit so it's like very contrasting and then you have the introduction immediately to the boss like the the chief or the sh whatever how they translate it the chef and that f character is literally just a hand with 
a jewel, yeah, a jewel on the ring. ring finger, right hand, and you just see the hand closing a door, and that like is the trope that gets repeated and repeated in the film is that hand closing a like really extravagant set of locks on like some very oh, heavy yeah. metal door, and like that's in the, all in the first scene, and I I remember the first time I watched it being like, oh, it's the diamond arm or the diamond hand, because like that hand has a diamond or some jewel on it and mm-hmm. that's like i was like okay that's the that's the reason the movie's called that like that's what i thought yeah 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 well that's actually a, a, an important point to okay maybe not an important point but a point <laughs> worth bringing up is is the fact in in russian there's kind of an ambiguity because hand and arm are normally the same words they do right. have a separate word for hand but it doesn't get used very much to the point that i want to say it's kissed but that's finger, yeah, I... but yeah. Oh. I mean, no, there's no word for hand. It's just like words for fingers for palm of the hand. Yeah, but you kind of use it when you're being really specific. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you say something is in your hand, it's vrukier, which like, and ruka is, is like the arm word. So that's that's how you can have a situation where someone can have a diamond on their finger and it be still like the diamond arm. So right. yes. So the translation... That's... That's a good point. And the translation sort of necessarily misses that nuance because the translation of the title, because you can't translate it as the diamond arm hand. So (laughs) you have to just choose between one. And like they chose... They chose arm, which makes sense because in the end the cast is on his arm, but... Yeah, yeah, but there's that level of duality and nuance that you just don't get. Yeah, that's that's interesting, actually, that we don't have a word for your full arm. Or leg. Same with Russian with mm, leg. Yeah. Kind of fucked up, actually. Well. Yeah. Well, it's it's like fucked up on both accounts. Oh, like well, I think it's fucked up. Yeah, I was meaning it's fucked up on the Russian account because I, I, I remember <laughs> it's confusing. that messing with me. Yeah, when I first learned it, I was like, but but my foot. And it's like, it's, it's really, it's really context based. <laughs> like if I say my foot is hurting, it's usually like understood if I can like, it depends on the context, basically. What about like you put a shoe on a leg? Well, do you say I put my shoe on my foot <laughs> ever? I'm trying to think if I, let me just think. Yeah, I mean, you you could like, you know, if you're helping like a little kid put their shoe yeah. on or something. Like you would say, like, yeah, you would say, realm, probably, you would just say naga, which is this like word for both foot and, and leg. You would say that in yeah. that context. I mean, but it is, it is one of those ones where you go, why would the language evolve that way? Our way seems more logical. Yeah, it does <laughs> in a way. But then it's just like one. Yeah, it's one of those things where there isn't like need for specialization according mm-hmm. to no, this no. language, unless you need yeah. to say my heel or my arch of my foot or my toe. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, when you need to get really granular. Yeah. But it's like, but it's funny because like I don't know. I guess we just feel like we or english feels like it needs that differentiation mm-hmm. more whereas russian we've kind of got into this by talking about payekhli versus pashli like russian feels the need to specify whether you're going on foot or whether you're traveling in oh, some yeah. kind of vehicle be it like a sled a car or a rocket <laughs> right know, and like, it, you can get really specific aren't we just going <laughs> yeah and technically it it's like there really are different words for you're going by foot, by car with wheel, or by vehicle yeah. with wheels, by vehicle that flies, or by vehicle that goes in the water. Yes, sorry, yes, I was wrong with saying sled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, or I'm yeah, by rusty. 
it's like or, or like katatsa is like so, yeah would be yeah, used for yeah, yeah. for sleigh things it's like a the whole other word it's like i remember that we had a whole book in <laughs> russian that is the verbs of motion oh yeah <laughs> sorry now i'm getting traumatic flashbacks <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah R- russian is infuriatingly specific when it wants to be and then it's just like hand arm whatever Go fuck yourself. <laughs> we don't care. You can figure this out. You're, you're looking. You're, yeah. Um, so we've talked a bit about the main male characters. I'm pretty sure this film wouldn't pass the Bechdel test, but it does have some pretty important female characters. How did you feel about them? Um, okay. I... I liked the uh, super a lot. I I'm trying to remember like specific lines of hers. Well, um, she has all the our people lines. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the our we, people. We should we should yeah. explain. She's the the uh, the building superintendent or building manager of the apartment where uh, Simeon and Nadia live. Yes, Nadia. And she has it out for him. It kind of with without explanation, like maybe she's always sort of hated him. But the first scene of them together, they seem to get along. And then he offers her a gift that she dislikes. And then after that, she seems to like, basically, yeah, she's just like following him around a lot and like, I don't know, telling his wife where he's been, those sorts of things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, because initially she wants him to to give like a little talk to... I guess the residents of the building because right. it's like you got to go somewhere yeah. that was interesting so everyone's gonna hear about it and for some reason she thinks he's going to New York and he was just like oh, I went to Istanbul actually and she's like oh whatever same difference yeah <laughs> it's just like what yeah that yeah. character so the two main female characters are the superintendent and his wife right that's yeah and and the whatever that woman's name who like, she does she becomes but she's not as fully a main character because she's not in the beginning. Yeah, she's like a third act character, but we should definitely still talk about her at some. Yeah, point, she's yeah. important. She's like in the triumvirate of female characters. She's mm. definitely an important one. And like for the superintendent character, yeah, she really reminds you sort of that you're in the Soviet Union of a particular time, and she kind of brings the like Soviet party line and to to a sort of absurd point yeah and she's like that force that's quite surprising because you know because she's not she's portrayed as being formidable but also kind of ridiculous at the same time yeah i felt i felt definitely definitely like to a point of absurdity yeah because she she's like very anal and also very up in everyone's business and like Mm, in that sense she's sort of like the ideal um, what do you call the kind of people who are vigilantes? She's like a vigilante. She's always like <laughs> inspecting everyone's behavior and then reporting it because she has this position of authority in the in the like apartment, and she, you know, is in charge of announcing all the things like the activities that are going to happen in the apartment building. Like this talk she wants Simeon to give, and then also in charge of sort of shaming publicly shaming people <laughs> yeah. at certain points yeah wait what's the interaction she has with the guy oh with the dog? right she so she's like really yeah uppity about the lawn i guess outside of the apartment building mm. and doesn't <laughs> oh, want yeah. people to walk dogs on it and so she's like and she's like just that's what she does she sort of yells at tenants about various rules and so she's like yeah. get the dog off the lawn and then like 
Simeon says that in, where does he say? In London. He's like, in yeah, London, London. Yeah. people walk their dogs wherever they want or something like that. He's like, dogs oh, yeah. are a man's best friend. And she like hates that phrase. She's like, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, and she kind of like strong, strongly implies that, it, yeah, in decadent capitalist countries, maybe. I mean, she never specifically says that, but that's kind of like the implication, right, right, I feel. Right. Yeah, doesn't she say like in in our country, or she says like here, the like superintendent is a man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yes, that is what she says. I was, I was trying to remember that. She, it's kind of interesting because she's the, um, like, in this movie that is like full of fools she is weirdly like the most competent like Mm. her strategies usually play out in her favor and like she follows simonian is that his name simeon simeon she follows him around and like she's more successful than like any of the other characters who are also trying to follow professional crooks yeah yeah yeah. right and she she's like this yeah i don't know i mean the whole the whole sort of satirical what i think of a satirical anti-western actually it's just anti-outside because it's not just the west Mm. anti-non-soviet like sort of trope in the movie yeah yeah she she makes it satirical by over dramatizing it and like like the example of the scene that you mentioned where she sort of says like it doesn't matter if it's istanbul new york it's like a perfect example because she's just like collapsing them and like, yeah just lumping the whole rest of the world as being like non non-soviet non-communist therefore yeah right doesn't matter does it it's yeah and it, you know like you were there and then then they use like a lot of the rest of the film they use like the word there so they say like from mm. there atuda they're like yeah. where did you get that it's from there and they use this there to be like this abstract other place and like i like i also like how she so yeah, she's this sort of representing this like party line or whatever, this like good Soviet citizen, upstanding, upstanding, and keeping everyone like following all the rules. And like when she first looks at the things that Simeon brought back from the trip, that was also like such a symbolic moment because she she looks. I mean, I think he's joking when he says that that's a gift for her um, purpose. But he, she <laughs> she she grabs a box, and I feel like she's like oh, this is beautiful because, like, it's a box that I can use and, like, put things in and it has, like, a, a cute little decoration on the outside and then yeah. when it ends up being, like, not just a box, yeah. but, like, a pointless toy. And in the lead up to that, they set it up so well because you just see the wife looking a bit jealous. It's like he's got this really thoughtful present for this other woman and she doesn't say anything of this it's just her looking and just i guess the way that they've set up the cameras and her just facial expression acting and then it's there's the punchline and it's just really well done yeah totally it it and and it ends up being like as also symbolic because it's just like a pointless it's a pointless object because it's like yeah. <laughs> has no sort of <sighs> purpose uh, th- that like you you drawing attention to like the way the cameras are set up and in that scene like between the camera and the wife is like some like narrow thing like maybe it's through a door and that's a sort of scene that they kind of repeat over and over again the one that comes to mind is Lily mentioned it in the beginning of the uh, hand with the jewel on it like closing on the doors but there's also a um, people yeah that they look through a lot and the camera goes through it. So that kind of thing where you're like looking at something almost like fisheye or like narrow through a corridor onto somebody's face, I feel like is yeah. pretty common. And the 
the camera angle ends up being important for a couple of like the standout scenes or something that or the scenes that leave regular reality and those would be when the dream scene when oh, yeah. or that like mm-hmm. yeah freaky nightmare scene or whatever um and there's like you know you're sort of swimming and the color changes and stuff and then there's like the close-up on yeah Moreno's face where he's he's doing this sort of dramatic facial acting where his like yeah, face is yeah, like yeah. quivering and stuff and then like the the restaurant scene which is like the camera's just like swinging you know and it's like trying to show the um sort of peak chaos moment and you're kind of it's kind of like nauseating you guys remember what I'm talking about right yeah, I think so. You mean when they're drinking at the restaurant? Well, at the end, yeah. After they're drinking, they're, he like sings and then there's like a total chaos moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, and also there, there's one other uh, like dream sequence, which is when he's drugged. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the end. By the woman. And then and then like you, it's unclear as the viewer, like if the things are actually happening, because like there's he's like with this woman alone in a hotel room and then like he's having these like kind of um like hallucinations yeah where he's like imagining the super in this woman's outfit and like dancing and stuff and then like suddenly basically like all the characters in the movie are like suddenly in the doorway like being like what are you doing in yeah, here you know? yeah. just passes out yeah i yeah, so- yeah. <laughs> go ahead go ahead sorry go ahead. no 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 uh sorry i don't know what i was gonna say so <laughs> I just I was just gonna comment that I didn't re- I didn't think about the fact that it really is like the whole cast is in the doorway at that very end scene it's like very climactic <laughs> and and you you don't know if it's actually happening and then the, the fisheye thing happens in that scene too because it like fisheyes on his wife and so that's sort of mm-hmm. all that he cares about mm-hmm. that's all that he really is seeing and then what does he say like I can't something along the lines something along the lines of like it, it's not me or it wasn't my fault or something like oh, that. no she says oh that. no no that's that's her yeah yeah she says yeah I wasn't oh, I wasn't right. to to blame oh, he came by right. himself which I don't know whether that's an innuendo in Russian I wondered whether it was but mm. uh maybe not no I don't, uh, I don't okay. think so I don't think so but that's a good point I didn't think about that yeah <laughs> well it's an innuendo in English Apparently, yeah, my mind's just in the gutter. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that whole that whole scene because obviously we've talked about her as being like the third like important female character. How did you both feel about her? Um, I mean, for like she kind of comes in. I don't remember what her name is, or if you you must know her name at some point. Svetlana. Svetlana. Okay, yeah, she kind of comes in after like the entire movie of these like. It's essentially two like men trying to get the jewels back from this guy's arm and then failing in like slapsticky humorous ways like the entire film and then she comes in as like the competent woman who's going to get the thing back from him finally after these like <laughs> men have bungled it for the past hour and a half and she's very like business like and like very you know just straightforward and then yeah i'll get the job done type type of thing yeah yeah, yeah. So I mean I I don't know I don't I didn't have any specific feelings about her um, p- 
past that, except that it is funny to see that kind of uh, scene. Like, I, I think that scene is like repeated in a lot of movies, but in other movies, it's like taken seriously. And it's like, oh, look at this sexy woman. But because she's doing that in the context of this like kind of ridiculous movie and yeah. because he's such a ridiculous character, um, it, it also feels so. Yeah, yeah I was Sorry, you go. No, you go this time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I was quite surprised to see that sort of a scene in a Soviet film from the late 60s. Like if it had been late 80s, I would have gone, okay. But yeah, I was I was quite surprised because um, she essentially like does a, a striptease, which like it's that whole scene. It's kind of emblematic of how dim-witted this uh, the character Nikulin plays is because I mean she sets up this meeting at her hotel room which like fair enough you could understand him not figuring out that bit but to the point where he comes in and she's wearing this like relatively sheer very short dress thing and then she's like Oh well, you know my friend's gonna take a while to 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 get here. Uh, but in the meantime, let's have a drink. Um, and the fact that he's not like, huh? Okay, something funny's going on here. He's just like obliviously like, okay, I guess. Um, yeah, I found that just kind of like, oh, man, this guy is really not the sharpest. But it's it it's funny. Yeah. I mean, he's he kn- he knows like what's going on overall because like the police are also at the mm. hotel like monitoring the situation. But he really doesn't try. He he never tries to steer a situation yeah. in any direction. He's like a very passive uh, character. Like like you say, she offers him a drink, and he's like he doesn't really want to do it. But he's like, well, okay. And then as soon as she gives him like this giant glass yeah. of wine, he just like down. Yeah. And, and yeah, he just doesn't think that it's weird that she's not wearing normal clothes. You know, or he like does. He like knows that this is his assignment, and he knows that she's not who she says she is because he's yeah. like given the information. And then, I mean, he kind of like. Well, he doesn't know that in the restaurant scene, actually, because at the time he still thinks they're just friends. But in, in any case, in this in the hotel scene, he does know. And it, but you're right, Smith. He's just like once he's told the proper authorities like what he needs to tell, he isn't going to do anything on his own. He's just going to like right. He's, he's just, just physically present, and that's all. And and yeah. he's not going to yeah. think about like oh she might try to drug me or like I shouldn't drink this thing because like that's the main thing but he is sort of stalling because like he needs to stay there because I think because um he needs to like give the signal or whatever I don't, or not I don't know what he needs to do he needs to stall right yeah 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 but then there's this there's the signal that she's trying to give to the the criminal accomplices who kind right. of set her up and then that signal ends up being inadvertently sent in an extremely ridiculous way um which i will leave as a surprise but just (laughs) yeah i guess soviet manufacturing what can you say not always the most quality garments (laughs) apparently (laughs) Um, that's true that's a funny funny scene i was just kind of like yeah that's gonna be embarrassing if that happens in a different situation (laughs) um just you know walking around ping um (laughs) 
and they just and they use the bullet sound effect which is uh. yeah that was another thing about the sound effects and stuff there's a lot of um i guess the, i maybe that's like a slapstick style thing but there's a lot of clearly like artificial sound effects or things that are clearly other noises supplanted for like I don't know, like when somebody's smiling in a specific way or like doing something that would make a natural noise, it's like supplanted with an artificial one. Yeah, it's like heightened or something. Mm -hmm. It's possibly like slightly a sharp left-hand turn, but we've we've touched on the music. What did you think of that? Because we've got songs and we've also got like the incidental music. I mean, maybe if we talk about the songs first. Okay, so there are two scenes, I'm pretty sure, where... What character is singing and performing on screen. And that gives the movie a kind of light musical vibe, um, which which I'm usually not into at all. But <laughs> I like forgive these characters and this kind of movie a lot of things because it just like it's it just works. It somehow works. Mm-hmm. I think it's because of their physicality. And and the like second thing scene in the restaurant is that. Uh, sort of climactic chaos scene and is sort of oh, yeah. more natural and less musically because he's actually on a stage. Yeah, so it's yeah, he's like... he's gotten massively drunk and he's singing karaoke. So, like you say, it's kind of like naturally built into the scene. But yeah, the early one is Mironov's character just burst into song, and that was funny for me because I'd heard that song before, actually quite a lot of times, but. I didn't realize it, it was from this. This was literally from the textbook called Payecheli that uh, was just used as a listening exercise. But I'd obviously like, I'm sure it's said in there somewhere that like this is from the classic film Diamond Arm, but that had totally gone over my head. So that was kind of like, oh, I recognize wow. this. So yeah, That's there funny. you go. And yeah, I thought the, the songs were were really funny and just like quite catchy. And like like you say, the musical element worked it worked quite well although that was kind of a novel thing for me like because this isn't this is by no means a straight musical but it just has a couple of these musical numbers in it and that seems to be something that guy die likes doing in his in his films Mm. i mean certainly in the shurik ones there's a few of those i mean with mironov it's it's one of those moments where like it's early on in the movie and you just sort of realize that this is this is a very talented person. And he's not just singing, he's dancing and he's like dancing really well. And he's just like, I mean, I, I, I sort of enjoy that um, when you, when an actor can like do more than act, it's kind of cool when they can like sing and dance. But again, like I'm not usually drawn to that, to that, uh, to musical theater, but yeah. It's almost like an older style of performing that seems more common a long time ago and now when somebody like Hugh Jackman can do all those things we're kind of like wow he's multi-talented or whatever right. um Mironov does a little mini uh Louis Armstrong impression in the middle of that song as well which is quite fun oh yeah also amazing it's yeah like... <laughs> it's like the fact that it's in Russian and I get that that's what he's doing is testament to this being a good impression yeah, he's he's pretty. His performance is like really very amazing, and it's cool how then when Nakulin's character sings, he also ha- like is able to sing even though he's like all fucked up. He doesn't dance or anything. <laughs> he sings really well, and that, that well he does sort of... kind of dance, but oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> in a very comical way. And that that just does sort of remind me of like another era of 
cinema or something when people yeah. had talents other than <laughs> <laughs> or yeah I mean I'm sort of romanticizing and I, I just mean like wow. it was it was sort of funny that like both main characters are able to perform sort um, of all-round entertainers right right yeah I mean it seems like that comes from like still being closer mm. to theater right mm. though you don't necessarily have to say and dance in theater but you're just like maybe are sort of trained a little bit in it at least moving physically. yeah and and the way that it works because you have to be seen from a stage rather than it being like massively blown up on on a big screen is it does lend itself more to the kind of the big gestures and and whatever right right actually like in terms of the yeah. incidental music i noticed that quite a lot of the music especially early on was quite almost like the sort of music that you hear over the top of like silent films, like the kind of quite plinky plonky piano type thing. Mm. So I kind of thought that was interesting in terms of like, I don't know, maybe a conscious nod to those sorts of films. But yeah. Yeah, well, it plays well for scenes like the one where um, Mirono's character is like running around trapped in like the streets of Istanbul, like trying to find where he's supposed to be getting out. I feel like that kind of stuff, which I don't like really know much about this era of film, but like has sort of a Charlie Chaplin-esque feel to it, which is this person just like running around. And I don't know what that like visual quality is, but it almost has a almost... I don't like stop motion yeah, kind of thing yeah. happening where it's like rapid in a specific way. They 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 do the they do the same thing a few times in the movie. The other time I'm thinking of is when the two bad guys throw a rope and climb up to the veranda. Remember mm. of Nikulin's apartment? And like it, it's just that there's like fewer frames per second than we're used to and so they're like moving really rapidly right. from one frame is, to the next, I guess. But that is a way of it's sped up. So it's like unnaturally sped up. Or I guess that's fewer right. frames. I didn't think about that. And like, well, no, it's it's, not, it's just like now when we speed things up, it can be the same number yeah. of frames just played out faster, yeah. I guess. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But yeah, there is a jerky, there is a jerky quality to it. Yeah. Right. Which looks yeah, like jerky. silent movies. Definitely. I didn't think about that. But the with the music paired with it, it definitely does. Yeah. And And I wonder if that's like intentional or like, I mean, it, it's, it has to be intentional to a certain extent, but I wonder too, like in 69, was was that still just a common enough practice because the technology wasn't quite there or was it like specifically used? I feel like I'm more leaning towards it was specifically used because I feel like Soviet cinematography is like pretty developed or something. So Yeah, but I also wonder whether like back then, because I think even in the West, there was more of a culture of we show not just the current stuff that is being churned out by the film industry. There was more of a, you know, we will also show stuff that's from like 10, 15, 20, whatever years ago on the big screen, just because we're not pumping out as many new films. And and also just like, you know, it's kind of something to do in a way that's really not the case anymore. So I wonder whether people were also just more familiar with older slapstick comedy than we are mm. now you know you kind of have to be specifically into that now to have seen a lot of those right, right i feel like now yeah like the people making movies in like the late 60s could have been could have been more easily influenced and exposed to stuff that was coming out in like i don't know the 30s maybe this is a stupid thing to base this my whole argument on but i remember watching Assa, which is like from 1987 and is 
contemporary set. But during that, we see some of the characters go to the cinema and they're watching a Chaplin film that's just being played at the cinema, which, I don't know, I mean, that those things still sometimes get cinema screenings even now in the West, but it's more like a special event rather than just, you know... I feel like going to the cinema. Oh, they're playing that Chaplin film again. It just doesn't happen. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> in the film, it's more like this is we're just going to the cinema to see something that happens to be on, rather than a oh, let's go and see the Chaplin film because it's you know it's years since it's been on the big screen. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good point because I think that also is yeah drawing attention to the fact that the audience of the movie at the time is more familiar which i think is also what you yeah. were saying not just like the director is trying to wink at this but it's just like more common kind of like visual medium visual yeah you understand what i mean yeah and and i think also i may be just totally pulling out this out of some random orifice but uh <laughs> i feel like in terms of the films that you could show in the Soviet Union that were from outside, I think slapstick stuff was a bit more like, okay, this there's limited amount of like subversive potential for this, so we'll happily show it, rather than stuff that was a bit more contemporary from the West, which might be a bit more like fraught with problematic stuff. I don't That's know. That's funny. It's also just more readable to like yeah. any audience because there's fewer words. <laughs> you can you can like you could watch a slapstick movie in a different language and like get a lot yeah, of the content. Yeah, I mean, I've listened to some podcasts on film that it was talking about the introduction and like the period prior to the introduction of sound and some like Hollywood bosses just being like, "No, sound is dumb. That all like drastically reduce our market because we'll only be able to show it to people who understand English. This isn't worth the massive investment that it's going to cost to technologically make it work. So it kind of seems like a no-brainer that you would be really trying to go for that next technological advance. But a lot of studios were just like, well, it's really hard to do and we don't see why we'd want to do it anyway. But I realise that's <laughs> A pretty massive tangent from the film we're actually supposed to be talking about but that's hilarious though that's really funny it's like why would we want it to look more like real life it's just like <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like that's just not what film is <laughs> no it's fine the way it is and we can make more money this way anyway hmm. but yeah i don't know maybe like more serious film scholars will disagree with my like butchering of the history possibly there but never mind you know uh was there anything else just, like, randomly that we should have talked about that we haven't? Well, I don't know. Maybe you guys can help me, like, expand on this theory. But um, when I was thinking about, like, the main things to talk about for this film, I thought about the imagining of the outside or, like, the West, which we've talked about. And the mm. other thing I thought about, which we haven't talked about in detail, is the... We reference it, but we haven't talked about it as a phenomenon, which is the phenomenon of the like idiot or the fool or the bozo, whatever we want to call it, <laughs> in Russian culture, in like Russian everything, literature, film, folklore. Does that is that something that like I don't know strikes you as true, Ali? Like, do you think? That? Um, I mean, I know I'm not very familiar with Russian fairy tales, but I know there's a whole big massive important character called Ivan Durak which is like mm -hmm. Ivan the fool or Ivan the the idiot obviously there's an important 
Dostoevsky novel, also called The Idiot, literally Idiot, and I mean, part of the whole point of that novel, at least as far as I'm reading it, is that he actually isn't stupid. It's kind of just, you know, the realities make him seem naive, but yeah, I, I guess... Well, my question is more like, do oh, you... Oh, and then Holy Fools as well. That's another thing that they have. Like, yeah, so, so... So Basil, he was he was a holy fool. He has a whole cathedral that's, like, unofficially named after him. But, yeah. So maybe it is a trope, but I'm just not enough of a specialist to know, like, why it's that way. Well, okay, so my question is more... I, I can kind of explain a little bit. Um, there are really, like, different types of fools in Russian language, mm. and you've just sort of laid out most of them um and the holy fool is like is sort of the maybe the one that the idiot is referencing the most explicitly um but urode isn't it is the right Russian and the, the but then there's just i guess my question was just like this other fool character or the the various types of fool characters um Okay, before I ask the question, I'll give some background. Basically, what I'm thinking of is, yeah, something like the folklore character, Ivan Durak, is like a really good example because he is pretty ancient and like really ubiquitous. And so his characteristics, for those who don't know, are being kind of lazy and sleeping a lot, but then also being really kind and he sort of represents heart over mind logic and he also tends to be able to he kind of like lives outside society in a way and it tends to be able to Mm. fix problems with the help of magical friends useful to have those (laughs) and like actually like so he has a sort of fool quality in that he people like maybe think he's a fool because he doesn't do what other people are supposed to do Mm. like work and get married and stuff he doesn't conform yeah and this like lazy aspect but then yeah at the sort of end of the day he can accomplish things that others can't and i was wondering if you had seen this sort of character it's definitely not exactly one-to-one mapped onto um yvonne the fool but it, it can be different kinds of like sort of innocent dumb main male characters generally if you had is that something that you had seen a lot in other films that you talked about I mean, I I mean, part of why I'm doing the podcast is to watch more films. So I haven't seen a ton, but Shurik is, you know, again, same director, is pretty... I mean, he's very bright in terms of being able to invent things and being very intellectual, but he's also severely lacking in, in common sense. So there's a bit of a contrast with... Nikulin's character because I mean I think his job title is economist so presumably he isn't as dumb as in his job as it seems but you don't really get very much indication other than that his his job that he is quite smart whereas Shurik you get the impression he is quite clever just ill-equipped to dealing with like normal everyday reality in some ways but yeah I feel like I don't quite know Russian film well enough to say whether this is something specific to this director or whether it's something that all you know comes up again and again i guess well it, yeah okay i mean i only i don't have a fully developed theory either because i haven't also seen enough film but it reminded me of 
I just recently watched another movie from the 70s called, it was from 73, so fairly close period of time, called Dacha. And Ah. have you seen that? No, no, I haven't even heard of it. So (laughs) I'll add it to the list. Okay. Um, Yeah, it's like, it's, I was watching it because we were doing an episode on the Dacha. And I was like looking for Dacha in pop culture. But yeah, it's, it has this main male character who, or there's two main characters, the husband and wife, and the male one is like, he reminds me, he, he has sort of similar vibes to Nakulin's character in the sense that he is a sweet, like, good husband. He, like, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't have any vices, which is, like, mm. such a, like, Russian trope also, like, the good man. Well, except he does kind of drink quite a lot. Well, but he, he does, he's... but he's, like, it's not the real him. He's not a hard drinker in the in the sort in the sense of like he goes out of the way to be wasted all, all the time. It's more like he's just not very good at saying no. Right, and normally that has worked for him. We get the sense that he normally <laughs> yeah, yeah, doesn't yeah. drink. And like this character in the Dacha also sort of like normally is everything's good, but then he like fucks up pretty early on in the movie by like just like stupidly losing all this money that they've saved up, and that's sort oh. of the setup for the film. And yeah. they've saved it up to buy a dacha. And he and it's just sort of then like his also recovering from this big mistake that he made. But it really is a similar character in the sense of like you have this ideal kind of um that those characters are are definitely supposed to be like good citizens in a lot of ways. Mm. Because they like Nikulin's character is a family man and he he really doesn't have like I don't know. He he doesn't sort of stand out in any way, but he that's that's a good thing. <laughs> like, yeah. And as as soon as the whole arm thing happens, he goes to like the ship captain and is like, "Somebody put these jewels on my oh, arm." Oh yeah, yeah. He's kind of like he's like he's he's a good Soviet. He's like a kind of boy. painfully innocent, also in that sense, which is like yeah, which is mm. yeah, so, which you get the sense that that's a good thing. But in that movie and in also in the Dacha movie, like it's sort of like that helps it be satirical because it's kind of like showing how dumb that looks or something. Yeah. Right, if you take those things to like their actual logical conclusion. And how people will like take advantage of that or... Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of a couple of other examples the more we're talking about it. Like the Pierre character in in War and Peace, again, is a very smart guy, but he also seems like fairly clueless in in real life like there's the whole sequence i just watched it this this last week uh, of his his wandering around the battle of borodino you know where all this like you know war and mayhem is happening and he's just being kind of useless and getting in everyone's way and it's kind of like how did you end up here and you know (laughs) you're not really helping and you're quite a nice kind person but you're not very practical and Actually, going back to Asar again, like Bananan, very talented, very smart, but also just like not that savvy and quite idealistic to his, well, detriment. I don't want to give too much away for those who haven't seen Asar yet. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think I think you're definitely on to something as far as it being kind of tropey. Yeah, like and I Russian don't, tropey. I just, I don't know. I don't have like a sort of developed theory on that, but I, I mean, in this, in that particular case of the diamond arm, 
despite all of this dopiness, this that's sort of like the point is that in the end, this character, uh, you know, yeah, despite his lack of maybe like street smarts or like common sense sometimes, he ends up winning. Like he ends up... He muddles through. Yeah, he, he ends up, I mean, that is definitely a spoiler, but he ends up sort of like... <laughs> yes. <laughs> really getting the... Or does he? I don't know. I, I unspoilt it. <laughs> Maybe. I don't think that worked, but never mind. <laughs> Depends on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like yeah. Inception, really. Um, <laughs> no, uh, sorry, Lily, I shamelessly interrupted again. No, it's okay, it's okay. I just, just like, that's, that's the conclusion of that. So if you're looking mm-hmm. for a sort of a symbolic reading or something, it, it, he does sort of have that, like, lucky fool thing that Yvonne, that that character from folklore has but yeah like with the Dostoevsky idiot example and Bananan that's not always the way those stories go but this is one where like Russian listeners I'd love to know what you think about that idea are we like completely off the wall and wrong there or or is it really a thing so yeah write in and and, and let us know um awesome so I think we've probably talked about this film for longer than the actual film lasts so that sometimes happens and that's fine um but uh i I think i wanted to start with with smith here um is this a film that you would recommend to people and people in general or like just people who have an interest in like russian culture like or would you not recommend it at all sorry that was a really poorly phrased question but yeah Generally, yes, I would recommend it. I enjoyed it enough to recommend it. Um, I think that it would take a specific person to enjoy it, probably. Like, I wouldn't, I don't know, yeah, I wouldn't, like, casually recommend The Diamond Arm to somebody if they're like, I want to watch a movie, you know, but... Have I got a choice for you? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely think, like, I don't, I think that it's definitely a worthwhile movie to watch. Awesome. And is that an agreement of the collective leadership or is that just Smith going out on a limb there, Lily? <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. I, I think it, it was recommended to me as a very good representation of like a Soviet movie. And I think if I think I would recommend it in that context for like a particular mm-hmm. uh, type of humor and a particular uh, example of like a bunch of really important Soviet actors. So if it was like somebody interested in Soviet film, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is something you have to watch definitely. Yeah, this is kind of like Soviet comedy of, you know, late 60s, early 70s, kind of at the top of its game. And like you say, it's it's kind of like all the stars in one place and, and you know, doing their thing. Yeah, and Russians, I mean, it's important also for people interested in Russian culture because like a lot of classic or cult Soviet movies, Russians like refer to it and to these movies, they quote, they, mm. it's just like a p- present part of, um, contemporary culture so that's also yeah. a cool tidbit well and humor is not necessarily something that's foremost in western stereotypes about the russians as well so it's important to remind people or bring it to their awareness that you know russians like everyone have a sense of humor and that it's you know although this is quite slapstick there's more going on d- under the surface so that's a yeah. Russian humor is that's a really good point that it's it's maybe underappreciated in the West, which is just ig- mm. people's ignorance because Russian humor is like really 
again developed i don't know why i'm using this word i can't <laughs> think of another word i'm like thinking of it kind of in russian but it's like uh it's important it's like really important mm. part of of everything from everyday culture to production of culture as it's said in in russian history which just means like you know movies art whatever yeah it's it's something that they pride themselves on but we don't necessarily know i say we in the general like the average westerner is not really thought about it that much it's it's not like oh those russians they're hilarious who is the who is the i'm just <laughs> blanking right now who is the president who like who has made a lot of jokes about probably reagan no 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 no, no. i yeah, thought reagan. oh was it reagan telling soviet jokes maybe yeah okay, yeah okay so somebody appreciated but <laughs> there's there somebody appreciated making jokes there was a tv show and i don't know i can't remember what it's called but it's like something that the that nikulin um was on or at least i saw an episode with him that was just like a bunch of comics get together and have like are having a dinner and like drinking and they just take turns telling what russians call anecdotes which are like funny stories yeah that's that's one of those like it's a real false friend in terms of translation yeah anecdote yeah but um i just watched some of uh, with nikulin and uh, like a little part of one of the that show like one of the episodes when he's he's old and he's just like amazing he just tells anecdote after anecdote uh, but he's sort of like the legend the, the star of all comics so he's especially good but yeah it's it's important <laughs> <laughs> yeah so check it out awesome well Thank you both so much for for being on the show. Really appreciate it. And yeah, people should totally check out She's in Russia or Sir. So thank you, Sir. Um, <laughs> thank you for so, having us. Yeah, where can we find you on on Tinternet? Twitter and Telegram at She's in Russia. Um, and then we also have a website at She's in Russia dot com. And then you can listen to the podcasts on any platform that you listen to podcasts on. Superb. Yay. Okay, well... Thanks very much again, and yeah, thank you all for listening. Das Vidanya, folks. Das Vidanya. So that's it for this episode, but before I go, I'd like to thank Sasha Ilukovich and the Highly Skilled Migrants for the use of their song Cold in our intro. You can find that song and the rest of their back catalogue on Bandcamp and Spotify. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a rating at Apple Podcasts or at podchaser.com. That second one, Podchaser, even lets you rate individual episodes, so if this episode particularly stood out to you, you can let other listeners know that you enjoyed it. Recommending the show on social media is hugely helpful as well. If you can spare a moment or two to do that, it would really make my day. Thank you, thank you very much. Speaking of social media... Please find us and say hi on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can also drop us a line at roosfilesunite at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, take care of yourselves, and bye for now. Плачут невезучие люди-дикари И рыдают бедные, и клянут беду В день какой неведомо, в никаком году Заба-заба-заба-заба-заба-заба-заба Ой,
Tchau. Ai,